When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you I had to fail, had to fall just for what I did well And there's some stories I can tell you It's the Final Word Cricket Podcast, the final Final word for 2022. It's uh, New Year's Eve. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins reaching hands across the oceans uh, for the last time this year, a year in which we've done probably hundreds of shows, literally, <laughs> once you put all the daily shows, all of the World Cups, the Test Tours and all of the rest of it. Mm. Uh, we've got plenty on the show today, uh, talking about the Bangladesh-India Test Match, the Pakistan-New Zealand Test Match, the Australian Cricket Broadcasting Rights. But that will all be in the second half after we do our traditional New Year's thing, which is the best and worst of the year that has been. We'll come up to that in a minute. Uh, Adam is halfway through a root canal. Uh, Not right now, but just back from the dentist and going back into the dentist tomorrow. So uh, at least you're leaving all of that behind in 2022 and, and going dentally healthy into 2023 yes it was it was quite the way to end the year you're right about the number of daily shows that we've done as well just thinking it through as you were describing it there we were doing dailies at the start of the year with the test matches between australia and england which bled straight into the australia pakistan series i reckon jeff australia sri lanka england Mm -hmm. new zealand men england uh, india men that was a henry norcross production we had england's men with south africa we had the women's ashes at the start of the year as well which you were doing daily shows with izzy the women's series between England and India, the women's Commonwealth Games tournament. So, yeah, when you tally it all up, it's probably in the hundreds. (laughs) Well, yeah, 26 for the World Cup, you know, throw in however many test matches that were three, four, five apiece. And I'd kind of forgotten that we did the Commonwealth Games. We've had a lot of hosts this year, um, different hosts on the show, Izzy Westbury, Natalie Germanos, uh, Bharat Sundaresan, Daniel Norcross, Henry Moran, Ben Jones popped in there. And a few when you were away, when you were on holiday, we had uh, Dean Wilson, Will McPherson, Matt Roller. Uh, we really have spread our wings in, in Liam Brickhill. Liam Brickhill, the Zimbabwe special, which might be one of my favourite recordings of the year. So yeah, it's, it's nice to get the chance mm-hmm. to reflect. And yeah, as you point out, I, I have had a fairly significant procedure yesterday. You know, root canal sounds, sounds straightforward, and I suppose it is when you're born boil it back to what it is but the dentist who was working with me yesterday I I said I'd talk about her on the podcast Mira she was absolutely brilliant in terms of her chair side manner because as she said herself it was one of the worst examples of nerve damage she's seen it was a harrowing experience yesterday as they went through trying to kill each of the nerves in the tooth and then next i guess when they get the drill out and they carve the rest of the tooth off and crown it and so on so yeah i'm, I'm happy to be with you today jeff because 24 hours ago i thought i was no chance mm. of recording this show but i've got a face full of painkillers and 
and antibiotics and, and all the rest of it working in concert. So um, we'll ride again. There's got to be a, a Joe Root Canal gag that we can mm. work in there somewhere. So we've just had the end of the South Africa-Australia test match. I mean, pretty grim seeing the way that South Africa have folded all of the Brisbane pitch two-day test talk um, and then you go to a very good batting wicket and they get rolled for 189 and 204. It's not an encouraging positive environment for South Africa. It's this weird thing this year where you've had all of the newborn England stuff and people saying oh look they're turning 150 years of test tradition on its head. They've reinvented the game. They've invigorated and excited everybody and at the same time we watch other teams play and feel very drably like test cricket is dying off in these places like the West Indies and South Africa in the last few weeks. Are we overreacting? I mean, my entire lifetime teams have come to Australia, got stomped, and then people say, well, they must obviously be nonsense teams and about to finish up and they're no good anymore. And then the world goes on. I can't quite decide which one it is. Yeah, to an extent, I feel like there is more to this than the side coming to Australia and getting pumped. Like, if it were just that straightforward, we would call it for what it is, but it's the other challenges that we've seen arise in 2022, and that'll be in our year in review in a bit. It didn't feel like they were ever, realistically, going to be competitive in this test match, and that doesn't stand to reason, because you're right, it was a more batter-friendly surface. If we were to count Brisbane as a great outlier, well, Melbourne wasn't, and, and as you say, they still got beaten by an innings and plenty and, and never really threatened, with the exception of maybe four overs from Andrew Nokia bowling to David Warner after lunch on, on the second day, which was like proper fair income stuff. And which isn't to say that Warner didn't have to fight hard at points through his long innings, but especially in the heat, it, it's hard to find any silver linings for South African cricket. And the, the bigger picture there, of course, is that they are actively prioritising T20 cricket, domestic T20 cricket with the SA20. They're denying themselves the chance to play international cricket through the middle of their home summer. That is going to affect what they can do away from home as well. Uh, we know that the second window they have to play uh, cricket at home is going to be affected by the expanded IPL. We, even last year, Rabada and Nokia, wasn't it? Who missed a yeah, test series yeah. to play in the IPL. There'll be more of that. In much the same way that I was declaring in the middle of the year that I don't think South Africa will ever tour England again for test matches. Um, I think it's the same here. I, I think we are watching next week the last test match that South Africa will ever play in Australia. And that's not because they're shit. It's because structurally, I don't think they'll be playing test cricket mm. in the way that we think of it at the moment in five or ten years time I think we're at the stage where to my deep regret unless something changes radically we're already on a trajectory that's going to see only a handful of nations mm. playing once they get rid of the world test championship and that will only last as long as the BCCI and IPL owners more to the point want it to and if they are going to have a bigger footprint with the T20 comps then the first thing that will be jettisoned is a bilateral test tournament that involves nine teams because it'll take away from what's possible with the T20 franchise stuff so I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we might be watching their last test match ever in Australia next week, at least for a generation. The situation as it stands is that in December, that's South Africa's main window to host international teams at home. So they won't come to Australia to play during that time. And in terms of, of Australia going there again, if it's a March-April situation, then Australian players will be affected by the IPL as well. So really the only time that those two teams could play each other in a test series might be November you know, from now on, if, if the Australian test summers start a little bit later as they have done the last couple of years. We already know what the Future Tours program says for South Africa and the lack of test cricket they'll play in the next five years. And yeah, it is reassuring that the World Test Championship is here at the moment. At the moment, everything feels kind of okay, right? There's been a test match in Karachi this week, one in Dhaka. 
there's been, you know, obviously the test match at Melbourne. It all feels like it's a hive of activity. Uh, that won't be the case once the WTC hits the fence. Rishabh Pant, word for him, lucky to be alive after a horrible car accident. Reporting seems to indicate that he fell asleep driving early hours of the morning. There's CCTV footage of the car going off the road and bursting into flames and he managed to get out of it with minor burns. So, you know, the reports are that he's probably okay. He's got lacerations and some injuries, but, um, you know, as you know, the effects of those things can be deeper than the physical injuries that you come out of it with. Yeah. I mean, the, the footage is horrible, isn't it? To think that he got away with minor burns seems staggering uh, in those circumstances and falling asleep behind the wheel is, uh, well... It's just as dangerous as driving drunk, isn't it? I'm not sort of levelling blame at him for that. You can fall asleep behind the wheel for lots of reasons, but it's a reminder, uh, especially around this time of year when people are doing long-haul drives and, and all the rest of it with their family in the back seat and so on, that it makes sense just to nap when you can because you don't want to end up in a situation where you lose control having nodded off because it's, um, it's pretty grim. So uh, all the best to him with the recovery and, and hopefully... He'll be back doing the things that he does so well with the bat and the gloves. Ashton Agar might get a test match yeah. in Sydney. I kind of feel that's the way they'll go. He'll probably bat seven and Kerry six, given that Kerry batted so well in Melbourne. Uh, if they go straight up with an extra batter rather than an extra all-rounder, Renshaw probably comes in at six, but that's interesting given that he started out. Did you know he started his career as an opener? Um, and so, you know, if David Warner did decide to call stumps in Sydney, then... Does that indicate that Renshaw's the next in for the opening slot, or is this just a middle-order thing? You know, a few little things flying around there. It's a good point about him batting in the middle-order quite a bit for Queensland, but he did open for the PM's 11, wasn't it, at Canberra, and made a century against the touring West Indian team, what, a month ago? And did open the batting in India. It's a long time ago, but and he opened the batting in two test matches in Bangladesh on Raging Turners as well, back in 17. So he's got six test matches worth of experience batting in conditions and opening in conditions that he's likely to get if he does get picked for the Indian tour. I don't know, do we read into that that David Warner might be retiring this week? I mean, I'd strongly doubt it. I don't know, you, you never really know with Warner, right? If just looking at sort of the Cameron Green, if they're looking for a like-for-like like there, I, I would have thought that Aaron Hardy would have been drafted into the squad given he was instrumental in WA winning the Shield last year. He's clearly on the national radar. He was in Sri Lanka as the, I guess, the Cam Green understudy playing in the A-side earlier this year. Mm. So interesting about Agar as well. Like The idea of playing a second spinner at Sydney, irrespective of the conditions, is one that I'm not against because getting a test match into someone who's not played test cricket for ages ahead of a combative series in India. Well, that's what they did with O'Keefe in 17. O'Keefe played against Pakistan to finish that series, not because the conditions suited, because they wanted to get him ready in the dressing room ahead of Pune. And that worked splendidly. So I don't think it's a bad shot, but I don't think Ashton Agar is the second spinner when they go to India. Or am I missing something here? I feel like if Agar plays in India, it's like as the third spinner, as an all-rounder. So I don't know. Did you make much of that? I think it's a bet each way in that they want an all-rounder replacement. So they want someone who can bat and he's probably the third spinner in India if he plays there, but it means that at least they get one of the reserve spinners in. They don't want to play two straight-out spinners because they right. want Hazelwood. They have to play Cummins, and it'll probably be Boland, although they might roll the dice and throw Lance Morris in there. I yep. don't know. Everybody keeps talking about him, but I'm pretty sure they'll just stick with convention and, and go with Boland, who bowled really well in Melbourne again. Uh, but I think that's a good point to lead into our best and worst of 2022. A lot of things on either side of the list. Uh, if you've listened to the show through the year, you might be familiar with some of these, <laughs> but the Scott Boland story was one of those. I mean, everybody talks about Boxing Day last year, which was 2021, but 
the fact that it carried on, the fact that it wasn't just Melbourne, he went on to Sydney, he went on to Hobart, was influential in that Ashes series and then got the second home summer this time around. You mm. know, Was in the squad, on the bench, through the middle of the year on those tours to Sri Lanka and Pakistan, but was able to come back into the side, take wickets and add another chapter to the story so that you don't just look at it as, oh, here's this little curiosity, this guy who played three Ashes tests and never again. Yeah, when we recorded this end of year episode 12 months ago, we were at my brother's place, weren't we? It was a red hot day in Melbourne then we had Rory Dollard through to talk with us about England's woes to start the show and we did the best and the worst at the end and of course a lot a lot of the emphasis was on Boland but it was also on England and how dire the situation had got there so I think Boland unexpected rise story you couldn't make up in a way same for England right as a test team reborn in 2022 the appointment yep. of Rob Key which led towards the appointment of Brendan McCullum unexpectedly remember McCullum thought he was going to get the white ball job and Rob Key's like no actually I want you to coach the test team then they go with Ben Stokes which you know history will now give the impression that it was a foregone conclusion that he was always going to be captain it wasn't a foregone conclusion there are, there are a lot of reasons why that was a risky call but it's worked incredibly well they've won what nine of ten since getting back from the West Indies and they are changing cricket as we know it even the way that test match finished up in Karachi today I think some of that's informed by what Ben Stokes and what England are doing right now and they've been so brilliant to watch they're a massive positive out of 2022 and who knows what they might be able to achieve next year test matches in Karachi I mean that's a massive positive not just the Australian tour that was so significant for us personally as, as well as everybody else but the fact that it's been backed up test cricket's back in a big way England Test Series, New Zealand Test Series, you know, three major Test Series in Pakistan across the year. I mean, that's something that I th- I think 12 months before that, maybe even six months before that, none of us expected would happen. We were waiting for the Australian tour to be called yes. off until about a month before it took place, or at least moved back to the UAE or something as per usual. That is an extraordinary step forward that Test Cricket's back and flourishing in Pakistan. Yeah, it's a great point because Test Cricket had returned to Pakistan, but it were, were countries that don't have the financial security that the big three enjoy that we've seen so much test cricket over there and just on a personal note like that we got to spend a month in Pakistan I've always wanted to go there what a fulfilling experience it was from Ropindi in Islamabad where we began to Karachi which was such a sort of sensory experience when you know when we were in the street at night Jeff going out and eating you know experience that won't forget then on to Lahore and that fabulous final test match that was resolved in the 15th session for Australia to win the series the way that they did um, kind of playing on Pakistan's terms it was just a, a great thing to witness and yeah memories that, that will last forever over the border to Afghanistan um, that's top of the pops for my worst of the year the recent developments there with the Taliban banning women from working at all even for NGOs and you know foreign run organizations when the Taliban first took over the sort of line from the ICC was well we we're not going to ban the men's team from playing because we want to stay engaged with that government and see if we can ameliorate their excesses was was the subtext at least to to say that maybe we'll still be able to get the women's team up and running you know we'll be able to be a voice of reason in some way i mean that was absolute fantasy at the time and it's been proved to be the case that the Taliban had no intention of playing ball with that. They could not give a fuck about what a foreign organisation thinks, whether there's money attached to it, whatever. None of those things actually factor in. The idea of a women's team coming out of that country or women being allowed to play is absolutely dead and buried. And the ICC is still doing nothing, still saying nothing, You know, still just remaining quiet and happy to let Afghanistan continue to play, even though everything in the ICC charter says that that shouldn't be the case, that should be a disqualifying situation. Yeah, and where politics has affected cricket negatively, Sri Lanka as well. 
you could paint this as a positive because we saw such extraordinary scenes in Gaul during that second test match where the people took the fort back and the biggest protest ever seen mm. in, in Sri Lanka that we covered as much as we did the cricket through those few days in the second test match but that Sri Lankan cricket is in such a weak spot because of what the government has done or the mismanagement at government level a concerning one to look for in 2023 whilst I was going to almost describe that as a positive from a selfish perspective because we got to see that inspirational demonstration from the people the bigger picture there is that it's hard to be upbeat what it has ended up being in the long term is that maybe there was a 5% improvement in terms of getting rid of a couple of the worst leaders but there hasn't been a whole lot of improvement after that the conventional political powers have been able to largely hang on to power there they've turned around and targeted a lot of people who were involved in those protests and demonstrations they've been prosecuting and jailing people for being involved in those scenes so after the rest of the world after those eyes moved away and oh, oh look the fun pictures of people jumping in the pool once people forgot about that then those people who were involved in it have been targeted since and so it's it's pretty grim on the positive side of the ledger, I would say the massive crowds that they had for the Australia-India Women's Series recently, yeah. the T20s being played, where they got big numbers of people coming in to watch those games at the Brabourne Stadium. And the hope that that will roll on into the Women's IPL and the Women's PSL, the Pakistan League, that both got announced during this year that, that those will go ahead and the success of women's cricket at the Commonwealth Games I mean this felt like another significant year in terms of progress those were all massive steps forward yeah agreed and I feel like when we do this show each year we, we, we emphasize a lot of the progress in, in women's cricket and Commonwealth Games was as significant for the rise of the Indian team as it was as the idea the event took place so India defeating England in the semi-final who were the, the hosts and I think the second most likely team to win the comp right and then India um, sticking around after that and give England a hiding in the one day as um, the first time they'd beaten England in a series in England for I think 20 odd years ending with the deep Sharma running out of Charlotte Dean at the non-strikers end which was I suppose you could describe it as a positive because it happened but a negative because of the absolute shit show that was the response from people who should know better truthfully who know exactly why the law's there but in bad faith just carry on in order to exercise their their social media following and to give the impression that they are somehow morally superior i guess that whole day at lords was a positive for mine because it was julian goswami's final day of international cricket the fact that she took wickets she bowled a 10,000th ball i think it was in one day cricket no one will ever do that yep. um, in the women's game she's the first and only player to play enough games to make that that possible so yeah that was a great way to end india's trip which started with the commonwealth games and, and making that gold medal game which could have gone either way jeff they were in the box seat with what five overs to go and i suppose um the, the experience of the australian group to get over the line again and complete what do we call it again that the the golden trifecta or something like that holding the 20 over world cup the 50 over world cup which they won in new zealand and then commonwealth games gold for the first time yeah i'm not sure what the name for it would be that the steffi graf golden slam kind of equivalent yes exactly for holding all of the trophies in, in in women's cricket but they do at the moment they've become a juggernaut and and i'm very disappointed that mitchell stark is not playing in sydney because i really wanted to see what would happen if tianis de brain kept wandering out of his crease at the non strikers <laughs> end I mean, that's where, where were you that's guys? As close where were you guys we on this come. on the on the Daily Show? I, I, I was listening to the Daily Show with you and Baz a couple of days ago, waiting for you guys to absolutely yep. tee off on that. I was left, I was left wanting more. You can do it now. Now, what I mean, obviously, I wasn't mm. there. I was covering the game from London, but my instinct was that um, Stark yep. has been a, a supporter of running out on striker. He, he said in the past he wouldn't do it yep. himself, but he he's like switched on to what's going on here. That was the time yep. to do it, wasn't it? One of the things he said that was 
because of his bowling action, he he can see the non-striker out of the corner of his eye. He's uh, he's aware right. of what's happening next to him. So he knows. He knows when they go early, and he thinks about it more than other fast bowlers. But because of the nature of his action, he can't really stop when he's into the load-up because he's got too much momentum coming through the crease. I so see. you saw that happen where he stopped in order to make a point, but there was no way that he was going to be able to get back in time to actually affect the run-out. But this is as close as... You know, anyone in major men's cricket uh, from the teams that are normally sanctimonious about this has come in a long time to saying, well, I've told you enough times. I've given you enough warnings. Like, it, yes. there is no reason for me to not do it next time. And the brain was fucking four feet out of his crease <laughs> at the time that, that Stark hit the brakes. So... All I'm saying is if they had both played in Sydney, it would have made extremely interesting viewing to see what was going on because I think he's on the brink. In that situation, he might be prepared to do it. So sadly, that won't happen because Australia will never play South Africa in a test match again. And if they did, Tienes de Brain won't be playing the number three who averages 15 or whatever it is. No, no. He's not a test number three, old Tienes, is he? No. In terms of the worst of... The year, I mean, not much bigger than, and this was something that we kept being reminded of during the Boxing Day test, losing Shane Warne this year. I think for a lot of people that still doesn't make sense. I still detect there's genuine grief from the people who knew him and so on who work in media with us. You can detect that's there, but also in a broader public sense. And the rest of this year, Andrew Simons dying, Rudy Kurtzen dying, Rod Marsh dying. Like It was a, a shocker of a year for popular characters in the recent cricket landscape, not the kind of um, oldest surviving test player dies at 96 kind of thing. Well, Rod Marsh and Shane Warne dying in consecutive days at the start of the Pakistan tour, it was such a... All eyes were on Raw Pindi, really, with the Australian team um, that week. And yeah, when the news came through that, that Shane Warne had died, I mean, we're never going to forget where we were that day. And I think that's the same for everybody. It's like, it feels... In Australian culture, the equivalent of like, you know, where were you when JFK died kind of thing. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, because he had mm. such a, had such an influence on the, on the pop culture in Australia. He was so popular mm. despite everything. And we did an entire episode about the contradictions yep. of Shane Warne when he died. But despite everything, he, he was the most popular bloke in Australia. And the fact that he was the, the best to ever do what he did, and it was all there in colour television and slow-mo replays, and the fact that he sort of took us into his confidence about his genius, he explained what he was doing. The most challenging art in cricket is bowling leg spin, or the most high risk, if you like, and he made it look like the easiest thing in the world, and it wasn't, but just the, the natural ability that he had. So there's that side of it. Uh, and then the tragedy of someone dying at 52, um, regardless, it, it just it's a striking thing, and Andrew Simons wasn't even 50 himself, was he? And I think when 2022 wraps up, there'll be nothing that people remember more than Shane Warne dying. And maybe even for the decade that we're in at the moment, the 2020s, the most significant moment probably will be the fact that someone who'd retired 15 years earlier passed away. On the worst list, and we talked about this on an episode at the time, what the ICC got up to this year, uh, the fact that they launched their UNICEF campaign to support women and girls in cricket at the same time as cashing a massive cheque to help sports wash the Saudi Arabian government via their national oil company. I mean, you can't get much more morally bankrupt than the ICC right at the moment. Also plastering FTX crypto bullshit all over the World Cup, um, <laughs> the crypto exchange that then crashed having stolen hundreds of millions of dollars and 
now everybody involved is involved in prosecution and all of the rest of it. I mean, there is no ethical low to which the money people at the ICC will not sink. And I think you could broaden that out to the the NFT crypto integration within cricket in a lot of different places now, but yeah, no more high profile than at the T20 World Cup. Sticking with negatives, we'll come back to the positives in a sec. Like the way that Pat Cummins got popped through the, the meat grinder this year in the middle of the Australian culture war, and really mm-hmm. that comes back to Justin Langer. I wrote a column for Wisdom Cricket Monthly about this, which was published, I think, last week. Langer and Cummins taking responsibility for that at the very same time that he was launching his own climate change initiative. It's just like he was, it was real red rag to a bull stuff there. And having been sort of privy to some of the social media feedback and talkback feedback through my, mm. my other job on, on radio, there is a significant minority, let's call it, but a very vocal minority who, have, who are completely off Pat Cummins and the Australian team due to the combination of him seemingly getting out of his lane, which is a problem for a lot of sports people these days. Mm. You see the England football team over here cop a lot of grief for that too. But where Langer fit into all of that, and, and that can't be divorced either, and the, the fallout of the Langer sacking in February, which continued really all the way up until mm. the Perth Test match. It's probably dropped off a little bit in the last few weeks when the cricket started again, but all the way through 2022, yeah. those who were pissed off about this uh, took every opportunity to remind the Australian people why they were pissed off about it. And it was such an overblown thing. I mean, what Pat Cummins did was take captaincy of that team about six weeks before there was a change in coach, but apparently it was all his fault. And then he said, hey, maybe it would would be a good idea if we acknowledge that climate change is a problem and we should do something about it. But when you're in a situation where, you know, Justin Langer is close friends with Alan Jones, not the Welsh batsman, but the um, (laughs) awful troll of Australian media and all of the kind of freak show troll army that he's friends with on that side of the spectrum, well, you, you know, you can't, you couldn't go disrespecting one of Alan Jones's people. That wouldn't do. So it was automatic that there was, it was going to be politicised in that way. And, and I think Pat Cummins was collateral damage in that. On the positive sides, good things that happened: Zimbabwe coming to Australia and uh, knocking them off in a one-day international. Yes. I mean, that felt pretty good. And just Sikander Raz's year, like, I mean, he's had a good number of years for four or five years now, but really hitting God mode, turning himself into Sunil Narayan with the ball doing crazy stuff with the bat, getting himself an IPL deal, uh, like Josh Little from Ireland getting into the IPL as well. And that more broadly fit into a context of the smaller teams competing really hard with the bigger teams at the T20 World Cup. You know, the the number of upsets to the point where they weren't really upsets anymore because almost every lower-ranked team ended up beating a major team at some point. While we were talking in the intro about how this has not been a great year for Test cricket uh, when thinking about the future of Test cricket... It was a good year for short-form cricket because the, the gap between the best and the worst, if you like, or at least in a World Cup context, is narrower than what people present. And yeah, the, the Zimbabwe's Sikanda Raza example is a wonderful one of that with uh, our show on Zimbabwe. I think we released it three days before Zimbabwe beat Australia in a one-day international. Perfect timing. It, that came up so nicely with Liam Brickhill joining us for the week and just kind of going through not the untold story of Zimbabwean cricket, but the one that it's an uncomfortable story since 2003. It's been one of those uh, one of those stories that's been easier just to ignore. But hopefully they tour again here soon. But I suppose a negative is that it's been confirmed this year that the one-day Super League will be no more after this cycle. So uh, that means that Zimbabwe, sadly, and, and Ireland won't get the opportunity to play anywhere near as much bilateral cricket in the next four years. So positive they've got to this point, but um, negative that it's improbable they'll play against Australia and other countries like that in the next four or five years. 
Worst of 2022, trying to broadcast a test series with you in Pakistan as the two ball-by-ball callers while we were both so (laughs) sick that we wanted to die and just basically alternating so that you could go off air and puke and I could go off air and try not to shit myself. And and it wasn't so much a, a roster or a rotation as just you need to replace yes. me right now. I'll see you in twenty to thirty minutes when things are under control. By which point you will desperately need to be replaced. It's funny, like doing uh, that in in thirty five degrees on the roof of the the ground in Karachi. I Not don't regret fun. doing the Burns Road thing though. Like even though we both got crook, we all got crook. Even Barat got crook, and you know he, he's got the the toughest guts in town. I'm glad we had the experience of being out there and, and eating in, in an environment that is so unusual and so foreign to us. So it did, yes, as you say, have repercussions in the days that followed. The finish to the women's test match in Canberra, I mean, that feels like about five years yeah. ago, but it did happen this year. I mean, that extraordinary, it ended up in a draw on the last day, but the fact that both teams really went for it after years of timid women's test cricket because so few test matches come around that it's always safety first look for the draw the fact that both teams had a red hot crack on the last day and and either of them could have won it right down to the last over yeah it was awesome and there's going to be a fifth day for the women's test next year at nottingham isn't it the women's ashes test match which is great but um yeah meg Meg ladding having a real dart at it a lot of people are like oh this is going to be a boring fourth day because you know this is the way it always goes and then to exceed expectations the way they did and they set the game up well too both sides played aggressive cricket Mm. at the right times to give themselves a chance to win so that was a i think a step in the right direction another positive from the uk sam north East, making a quadruple century, the first quadruple century uh, since Graham Hicks, which was in, what, 1988. So it was the perfect week to have Vish on as co-host, actually. I think you're away, Jeff, but Vish coming on after Sam Northeast, who he does a podcast with. He could have pushed through for 500 as well, but Glamorgan did the right thing, declared at the right time, and they won that game with 20 minutes to spare on the final evening. Like It was the, the perfect result, and Northeast is one of the... The real good guys in, in cricket over here, really unlucky never to have played for England. He might do so in the future, having um, had such a good 2022, yep. but a great part of the county championship seeing records fall like that. Um, you've touched on the positive of that England team turning itself around. Ben Stokes being a huge part of that. Um, I, I won't say the word, but the the style of ball that may be played <laughs> by a man named Baz, that kind of situation. The fact that Stokes just said, well, fuck it, let's, let's just play weird cricket and see what happens the flip side to that for me on the negative list was the Stokes documentary and him trying to turn himself into a gay rights warrior like trying to recast the Bristol punching people in the head situation as somehow being a good guy doing the right thing I mean the interview that we did yeah the filmmakers could make the the argument to say oh well we, we we can't give everybody's side of this situation we can only give his but they very uncritically presented that incredibly self-serving interpretation which absolutely does not stack up in terms of the events as they took place i just felt sorry for the people that, that bought that like i know that not everybody follows cricket as closely as we do and not not everybody follow cricket for years and years right like there has been an influx of new supporters to the game in england and that's really positive but it felt like anyone who's relatively new to cricket had took that hook, line and sinker, that was just as given that, that Ben Stokes was um, that night somehow acting in the interests of these two gay guys when the documentary evidence presented in court was very, very different to that. And that's okay. Like, 
mm. you know, people do stupid shit when they're drunk. Um, I'm not saying what Stokes did was okay that night, but I'm saying that it's okay to just acknowledge that that was a complete clusterfuck and for him to rehabilitate from there. The Stokes story is good enough as it is. Mm. That's what I'm really trying to say. Ben Stokes' story is good enough as it is without needing to reinvent what happened that night in Bristol back in, in 2017. Mm. Just staying with England on a negative. The high performance review, the Andrew Strauss review and, and the response, some of the responses to it, which, yeah, I mean, it, it's frustrating because I, I, I feel like a, a lot of what's being said there and a lot of what's being thrown out there and discussed in the last six months in English cricket, they're conversations that need to be had. But there are a certain group of supporters in England who clearly love the game, but are just completely closed off to any conversation that changes the status quo. And it's just... And it does poison the well when it comes to the viability of the 100, for example, which we've been critical of, and that's fine. But yeah, hopefully the conversation picks up a notch or two in 2023 because it was nothing to write home about in 2022 on that front. Some good news stories for individuals. Um, Former Sydney Sixers utility Jody Hicks going well in the AFLW, uh, playing football, kicking more goals than she got the (laughs) chance to score runs. Ryan Campbell coming back from that horrifying experience that he had the coma that he was in and and coming back to be bright and full of life and returning to Australia with the Dutch team sort of full circle and and now working in county cricket you know that was a a really upbeat story Um, and Simon Harmer coming out of county cricket and getting to play for South Africa in test matches I mean we must have spent years saying if only there were a way that South Africa could get Simon Harmer to come and play and he did and he took wickets and, and it, it felt like this long-awaited sense of satisfaction that it had actually taken place. Same with Dwayne Olafir, who, you know, uh, can't get a start at the moment, but um, yeah, he burst back onto the scene against India uh, earlier this year. Personal stuff, you mentioned Ryan Campbell, who was an interview on the program. We had some great interviews this year, but when we spoke to Paul Kelly for a couple of hours, Jeff, uh, which was a, a great experience probably in March or April of this year. And then more recently when I spent an hour and a half with Robert Domenico, which had nothing at all to do with cricket, but we've been making this show long enough now that we can indulge in, in these things from time to time. Well, it's about conversations, isn't it? And look, I've grown up listening to Paul Kelly's music. It's been part of my life for yep. years and years. There's a documentary they made about him a few years ago that I rewatched in preparation for the interview. And it includes a lot of um, footage from a concert at the Falls Festival. And I was like, that concert seems really familiar. And about halfway during the credits, um, as the camera pans across the crowd, standing front and centre, there's me just (laughs) watching Paul (laughs) Kelly play. So I'm actually in Paul Kelly's documentary, which I'd forgotten about until I I rewatched it. So... Yeah, to have what someone does be part of your life like that and then to get to sit down and talk shit about the cricket for an hour and a half was a a pretty special thing. There was other good personal stuff too, like getting to have Cam Fink back with us a couple of times. Jeff, that roadshow we did through Western Victoria, the final piece of that was the interview we did with Josie Stankster at Harrow immediately after the T20 World Cup. But just generally speaking, whenever Cam Fink is with us, it makes us, I think, our best selves. So I hope that that is something that we can do again in 2023. Another one that, this is going to sound a bit unusual, but it does stand out as a positive in a way. When recording the Daily Show with Daniel, the day after the Queen died, and Daniel, who's no royalist, being so taken by describing the emotion of the ceremony at the Oval that he started crying on the podcast. It's it's hard to detect if you're listening to it, but believe me, he was in tears when recording that bit, which was a strangely moving moment, even though I'm, again, far from a royalist as well. It was more just an acknowledgement of the, the moment in history that had passed. And, and generally, when it comes to Daniel, all of those advanced hair, ridiculous advanced hair videos that he and I made, um, where he would put his head right in front of the camera and show us <laughs> where he was going 
bowling ball. That was that was heaps of fun. A <laughs> um, hundred story times we notched up this year. I think the episode where Bharat did his expose of the one thousand and nine <laughs> scored in India by Pranav Dhanavadi. Um, that that was an extraordinary piece of uh, investigative podcasting, I suppose. I, I still can't um, believe and- that, that comes up quite a bit, right? People talk about like the Bharat um, one thousand and nine story. Sitting down the other end of the Zoom mm. call at the time, you were off that week. It was him and me. I'm thinking to myself, "Fuck, this might be our final story time." Brat might be, might be, might be sinking this whole concept because no one's going to be following this through <laughs> to its end. But I completely misread the situation, um, as ever. Brat uh, had his finger on the pulse. <laughs> Bangladesh beating New Zealand in New Zealand. I mean, nobody expected that to happen. Then the way that it happened. I mean, mm. the Everdot Hussain intervention. The six for forty-six that he took, and and then I think more broadly the extraordinary statistical career of Ebadot Hussain, who who has continued playing after that series. Now there is a bowler, but with the bat, extraordinary this. So the first twenty-six innings of his career, Adam, twenty-six innings, twelve runs, seven ducks, thirteen naught not out, because whoever was at the other end just <laughs> panicked and had a swing because he'd come in, an average of one. And then in his last four innings, scored two more ducks, admittedly, but also made a 21 not out and a 17. So after making 12 runs in 26 hits, he knocks off 38 in two innings. Still got an overall average of three. He still made 50 runs from 30 innings, despite those 38 runs. And then with the bowling, where 32 wickets at 57, this for from a guy who took 6 of 46 to win a test match, uh, if you root maths it and take out that one innings, 26 wickets at 68. So the match-winning <laughs> bowler who raced through New Zealand on the last day is otherwise taking his wickets at 68 runs apiece and yet had that day, that thing that cricket can do where you, you have one brilliant day and no one can take it away from you. He was the match winner when Bangladesh beat New Zealand there for the first time. As was Liam Norble uh, last day of the, the championship season. Now, Liam Norble has a, a more impressive body of work than Ebadot Hussain, but to take nine for 52 on one leg to bowl out Hampshire, you know, Hampshire side that had James Vince and uh, Liam Dawson in it from memory. So yeah, a couple of international players to go through them in the final session and take a nine for when he was only barely fit to play that, that final week and keep them up. Warwickshire would have otherwise been relegated, but it felt like Warwickshire, by staying up, it felt as good as a championship victory and, and Liam Norwell had his day of days there to, to make that possible. I think that's it. I think that is our best and worst for 2022. Should we do one more nerd pledge for the year? Yeah. Yeah, I think we should. Let, let's do let's do a last nerd pledge and then and get into part two. I, I like that. All right. So nerd pledge, it's the game that we play on the final word. The reverse quiz. People out there in the world decide to help us pay for this show and they send us contributions and those contributions come in very specific numbers because the number means something when it relates to cricket and we have to figure out what it means. The nerd pledge this week comes from Fake Patch Clap. We have two nerd pledges. One of them is the real Patch Clap. One of them is the Fake Patch Clap, a.k.a. Matt Wust. $11.32. It's a nice number. Initially, Adam, I thought, oh, is this the highest first-class score ever made by a team? Because I knew it was 1100 and something, but that's 1107. You remember, we've talked about that one before. We have, yeah, recently, actually. Yeah, 1107. Had it been that, I think we did that earlier this year, actually. One of our... 
sort of mm-hmm. big um, one of our episodes that went for about two and a half hours on, <laughs> included a, a long discussion <laughs> around what Victoria did that day. But no, this is not that. So eleven four thirty two is another way you could interpret eleven thirty two. That's been taken twice. Tom Emmett in eighteen eighty two against the touring Australians. I enjoyed this scorecard. Australia all out for 132 and 67, and they still won by 47 runs. <laughs> so uh, people complain about the Gabba track having too much juice in it, too many wickets. Um, get a load of the 1880s. And then the year before that, JJ Ferris, the king of the 1880s, the king of cheap wickets a couple of centuries ago, took six for seven. Scotty Boland built him a statue for the MCC. They rolled Nottinghamshire for 21, team total of 21, Sydney Thunder areas. And then he followed up with 5 for 25 in the second innings, uh, got them all out for 69. Nice. Uh, I assume that he changed ends because do it from both ends, that's how. But I thought probably not either of those. But I had a different line of inquiry, Adam, and this, this, this led me to Jimmy Adams, right? Because if you followed West Indies cricket in the 90s, you knew about Jimmy Adams. Left arm darts, patience at the crease, all the rest of it. And we talked quite a bit about the 2000 tour when West Indies came to Australia, got smashed 5-0. Jimmy Adams was the captain of that side. He didn't just get sacked as captain after that tour. He got sacked altogether. That was his last appearance for West Indies was huh. the Sydney test there. Okay. So, and, and, and he'd replaced Lara as captain when, you know, I mean, Brian Lara wasn't famously a player that everybody got along with or, or who who was able to bring people with him, literally or figuratively. He lost the captaincy. Jimmy Adams has the captaincy for less than a year, wins a couple of series at home, goes to England and loses, goes to Australia and gets smashed and then gets sacked and, and never plays again. But I remember that series being impressed by him because it was hard bloody work trying to captain that team. They were getting mm. absolutely smashed around. They got bowled out for 82 in Brisbane. Oh, the pitch must have been terrible. And he was one of the few who actually gave it some fight. So a couple of times in the collapses, he was not out at the end. He made 49 in a huge partnership with Lara in Adelaide. They put on 183 together when Lara made that big, that 182 that he made. Jimmy Adams gets a pair in Melbourne. I remember him diving up to try to take a catch at cover and falling backwards and smashing his head and getting a concussion and and missing part of the rest of a test match. It was emblematic of the fact that he really tried. But that's the end. That's like the sad end of the Jimmy Adams career. But it starts really well, right? Because he debuts against South Africa in 1992. He makes 79 not out. He takes four wickets. Happy days on debut. He's on the earlier Australian tour when Lara makes the double hundred at the SCG. Jimmy Adams, 77 not out. And he's batting at six or seven at this point, sometimes down at seven almost as an all-rounder. He makes 95 not out when England visit. Then he makes 137. Then he's got to go to India. So they get him on the plane and he goes to India. 39 and 81 at the Wanker Day, work, rest and play stadium, um, even though they lose that first game. Keeps the doctor away. Nagpur, in, in terrible trouble in Nagpur. Uh, India's made 546. West Indies are 155 for four, and Lara's out, so they're fucked. And then Jimmy Adams comes in and bats for nearly seven hours, faces 312 balls, makes 125 not out, and just kicks everything away. Pre-DRS, you could do that. Um, and, and all of India gave him the nickname Jimmy Paddams because they were so frustrated at the fact that he just played with the pad like it was 1904. You know, it was Plum Warner, you know, kicking them away off the line in middle. So 
They avoid the follow-on. They get within about 120 of India's score. India bat again, set them a target. 60-odd overs on the last day. West Indies 3 for 22. Lara's out again. Again, they're in trouble. Adams gets sent up the order, bats for three more hours, makes 23, saves the test match. And then they go to Mahali. He gets promoted to number four, and he makes 178 in the first innings, 78 in the second innings, both of them not out, and sets up a win. So they level the series. So... That's his first dozen test matches. After 12 test matches, Don Bradman had made 1,694 runs at 99.64. The next best player all time after 12 matches was Jimmy Adams, who was averaging 87 and made 1,132 runs. Our number, 1132 for fake patch. Very nice. Matty Wust, great to have you back in the list again uh, for, I think, the second time in 2022. If you want to keep supporting the show in 2023, patreon.com forward slash the final word. We've got a very busy dance card next year. We're going to be at the Australia-India mm-hmm. men's test matches. We're going to be at Fairbreak, uh, which is uh, in April. We're going to be at the men's and women's ashes in England. We're going to be at the men's one-day World Cup in India um, I'll be back with you Jeff mm-hmm. for the Australian summer after that I'm sure I'm missing stuff there too but it is going to be another absolutely chock-a-block year and if you want to help us make as much of the final word next year as we have this year it would be great to have you on board patreon.com forward slash the final word it's all going towards getting us around the world to where we need to be and it makes a massive difference yeah it would be greatly appreciated put it on your list of New Year's resolutions help a couple of dissolute podcasters <laughs> watch a trivial game and try to find ways to make it important (laughs) right let's take a break and then we'll be wrapping up 2022 Jeff, they've been friends of the show in 2022. They will be again in 2023. It's the Lords Taverners, uh, who I coincidentally won a raffle from this year, which sees Rach and me off to the theatre, before she has the baby uh, in a couple of weeks. The Lords Tabs, uh, they are great people doing great things in our cricketing communities, creating opportunities for young people with disabilities and others from deprived areas to engage in sport, in our sport specifically, in their local communities. We've spoken a lot about them in the last couple of years since we started our association with the TABs. But uh, the more that I have to do with them and the more that I see what they get to do and talk to their members, uh, the more I realize what what a great service they're providing. And what we're trying to do over the next 12 months is get as many people from the Final Word community as we can integrated with the Lord's TABs. Yeah, a lot of it's about finding different kinds of cricket that people with different kinds of disability are able to play Uh, a lot of it's about getting particularly young people into social situations when they find themselves socially isolated that's the kind of aim of the lord's tavs they raise funds in a whole lot of fun and interesting ways we've had the uh, deep sea diving suit being walked to the top of mountains we've had the (laughs) online cooking classes with farouk engineer Uh, we've got the, the elaborate lunches where people give speeches that are sometimes received well and sometimes not so well there's the entire range the entire (laughs) gamut and and so all they want is for people to get on the mailing list so that if something pops up that feels like you 
Maybe it won't be everything. Maybe you're not into deep sea diving suits, but maybe you are into Farouk Engineer. Then you can act on it. It's an entirely non-committal. They're just after getting in touch with people to let you know what they're doing. It's really straightforward to sign up. We've put a link in our show notes. We've got one of the short ones, bit.ly. Uh, forward slash tab sign up which you'll be able to see and click on on the show notes we're going to have a lot more to do with the lord's taverners throughout 2023 why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with royal caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in north america you don't just go for a road trip you atv and zip line through the jungle You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It is a final word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. 2022 coming to a close. Uh, India won a test match on Christmas Day against Bangladesh. I mean, that's fun. That's quirky. We don't get a lot of test cricket on Christmas. Uh, was it Was it 1951? Was that the last time it happened? It might be. Yeah, I think it might be. I know Frank Worrell, because I went through this recently when we were at Adelaide for the West Indies test. I know they finished their test match in 1951 on Christmas Day where Frank Worrell took six for with the ball at the start, bowling same up. I don't know of any other test matches being played on Christmas Day uh, between times. So it's been, you know, it's a, it's a one in seven decade occurrence. But it was all set up so well. I think India required 100 runs and Bangladesh six wickets on the final day. I woke up stupidly early, um, as one does. Uh, and to follow the Crick Info scorecard, how tragic. Like, so I was up at 4.40 on Christmas Day following the scorecard tick over because, you know, I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at one point, I think it was about 50-odd runs and three wickets. That was what's left on the board. Mm-hmm. That's kind of got, like, tie energy. Imagine mm. the Christmas Day test had been tied. But oh. Shreyas Iyer and Ravi Chandra and Ashwin said, no, that won't be happening. Ashwin, 42, not out to ice it. Shreyas Iyer, 87 in the first innings, 29 not out in the second after Rishabh Pant, 93 from 105 balls in the first innings for India, hitting five sixes. So, um, yes, he was the, the test wicketkeeper of the year in pretty much all of the all of the polls that you see. Jeff, I think we both participated in, in the Guardian one. I've mm-hmm. also sent a team in for the Wisdom one, and there'll be an ICC one, and I'm pretty sure Rishabh Pant will be the, the wicketkeeper in all of them. And, yes, they've won that series 2-0. Well, you know, I mean, Tom Blundell might be unlucky, but Rishabh Pant is just more fun. It's more fun to watch. Sorry, Tom. Get more fun. <laughs> you know, maybe if you were more fun, you'd be in people's teams. But it was classically Ashwin, wasn't it? To because you know, took wickets at key times, stands up with the bat like he's he's the guy you want in a crisis. You saw that in Sydney in 2021, and I mean, India were really close to getting knocked off by Bangladesh, which would have been. Massive for yeah. Bangladesh to, to get a win over the big rival, the big neighbour with all of the, you know, you talk about the haves and the have-nots, you don't get gulfs much wider than that, but you also have to just appreciate how how calm and measured and sensible Ashwin is when it comes to a situation like that. You know, of course he made 42 not out. Of course he produced in the end. And took six wickets as well. So he was player of the match. Ashwin, um, this is one to watch in 2023. He's now on 449 test wickets. I think Lyon's on 457, I want to say, which means Mm. that in all probability, they'll be duking it out for eighth on the all-time list throughout 2023. And of course, they'll play four test matches against each other as the senior spinner in the Border Gavaskar series that's through February and March that we'll be at. So an eye on that. It had an effect on the World Test Championship as well. 
bouncing Bangladesh 2-0 means that India now jumped to 59%. It's all a bit boring, but here's the key information. India only need to do halfway decently against Australia to ensure their progress to the final. Like It's one of those situations where Australia could ensure that India make it and vice versa. Like if they had a, a very convenient two-all draw, then they're going to play off in that final. But but India will won't oh, yeah. really need that because... West, West um, Germany, Austria, that, energy. Yes, exactly. Uh, or, or the... Um, oh, I won't even say the other example in cricket because I might get in trouble. Sri Lanka can theoretically get to 61%. They've got two test matches against New Zealand. That's right. And they're away. They're, they're, they're in New Zealand, no test matches. They could get to 61. Uh, South Africa can also get to 61. They need... Uh, no, 59, sorry. They can get to 59 if they win this week and then they win 2-0 against the Windies. Australia can't get any lower than 58%. They need to lose all five. And the smoky is England. They can mathematically still make it, which is batshit crazy. But it says a bit about how even this cycle's been compared to last time. So Mm. in all probability, though, overwhelmingly likely, it'll be Australia up against India in that final at the Oval in, I think it's mid-June. So you you get five Australia-India tests this year rather than four. You know, we we know that they were upping all of the series after this to five, but this will effectively then become the first five-match series. I mean, India like playing a series where they, you know, they play one test about six months, 12 months later. <laughs> you, can, you can imagine the fucking boiled piss if India do really well against Australia at home. Let's say they win 3-1 or 4-0 oh, yeah. or something like that. Australia still sneak through. And then Australia turn them over in England. It would, oh, well, put it this way. It would ensure the final will never be played in England again. I'm very <laughs> surprised that it's being played in England again anyway after mm. New Zealand beating them there last year. There will probably be five Australia-India test matches followed immediately by five Australia-England test matches. So that's unusual. But um, yes, yeah, kind of reinforcing our earlier point. We're going to be busy in 2023, Jeff. Oh, it's like every administrator woke up from a very sweet dream to find that reality was even better. The perfect big three reality. (laughs) (laughs) And then after that, they could play five matches between England and India. They do. Uh, They they, they, they genuinely do. After that, um, the next test series that England play after the Ashes, they go to India for five test matches (laughs) late next year. That's all we need. That's all we need. 15 tests a year. That, that'll be fine. Uh, Pakistan played New Zealand, um, two teams who are remarkably still allowed to play test cricket in this world. This was fun. I mean, really, it was an escape story for Pakistan because they were in trouble. You know, they'd given up a deficit of nearly a couple of hundred on the first innings. They were just trying to get ahead to get some sort of lead and, and just to hang on for long enough to escape with a draw, basically. I mean, Saad Shakil, who's been a revelation in the last couple of months, you know, has really performed a number of different times, making 55 not out, batting at number eight on the last day. And this all started with hundreds for Babar Azam and Aga Salman. Safra Ahmed coming back into the side, making 86 after being recalled. They made 438, and then New Zealand just go and make 612 for nine. Williamson, 200 not out. Abrar Ahmed takes another five for. Ish Sodi makes important runs, takes a stack of wickets, eight in the match in the end, took six for in that second innings, but just couldn't quite get through them. So Safra makes another half century, 53. Uh, Imam Al-Haq made 96 opening. When he gets out, out when Ishsodi gets him out with a good piece of bowling, you're like, okay, well, probably New Zealand are going to win this, but that's when the resistance came in from Saad Shaquille. So they actually got into a lead and, and turned it into a, a reasonable lead. They got 137 in front, and with 15 overs left, Barbara Azam says, let's pop them in. Let's 
Let's see. If we set New Zealand a challenge of 138 and 15 <laughs> overs, will they have a crack? And will we get a few catches held on the boundary and maybe start to make them nervous? So 90 balls, 138 to get. And New Zealand go after it. You know, fair play to them. They send out Michael Bracewell as a pinch-hitting opener. He gets out quickly. Yeah. And then Tom Latham comes out and starts smashing them. Conway's trying to smash them. They're going at about nine and over. And a couple of big overs in there and you're thinking well this is this is maybe a possibility but we forgot about bad light we forgot that it gets dark early in Pakistan which you know we should know from being over there because that happened every day so seven and a half overs in it's 61 for one and the umpires say sorry guys got to come off the field because it's too dark to play and yeah it'd be easy to get annoyed at the umpires but there's not much they can do about it that's what the rules and regs are and they don't want someone to get injured out there but still frustrating because New Zealand needed 77 from 45 balls at that point with nine wickets in hand. They probably wouldn't. There were balls keeping low. You can spread the field. You can bowl wide, stand the leg side, all the rest of it. But it was possible. A few things from this test match. One was that Mohamed Rizwan was dropped to facilitate Safra's returning yep. back to the side. Is that not just the fucking craziest yes. thing? I, I know that we're conditioned to this. Uh, Ramiz Raja was knocked off this week as the PCB chair. Of course he was because they lost to England 3-0 and the natural corrective on that was getting rid of the chair despite the fact that the PCB have probably never had as much of a kind of public standing in the last yeah. 18 months. I think he did the job for 18 months since he took over. They did make the men's T20 World Cup final mm. five minutes ago. They have announced a women's PSL. They have been making strides in terms of what their mm -hmm. women national cricketers are being paid to. But oh, they lost three test matches against England. Better sack the everybody. And the former chief executive has been brought in by the government to be... Three highly watched, popular, exciting test matches that everybody enjoyed. You know, like there's a difference between just getting steamrolled. They were... <laughs> So well, they, I mean, it, the fact is Pakistan haven't been a particularly strong... I mean, like, they, they have had a, a pretty ordinary 12 months as a test team, Pakistan. But, like, does that mean you just sack the chairman? Anyway, so the government have done that. They've got that authority, and there's going to be a period of four months where the former chief executive becomes the acting chair. Funny that. And, yeah, as I say, the oddity of Muhammad Rizwan, who has been a revelation. Um, I know he didn't make any runs against England, but, I mean, he's the vice-captain. He has been sacked for Safraz, who's about 100. And when Barbara Azam went off the ground crook, guess what? Rizwan came on as a subfielder and started fucking captaining the team until the umpires intervened and said, you're not allowed to do that. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, this probably should have come up in our positives, negatives of 2022, but Pakistan being a, a, a poorer test side than they should mm. be at home is a negative. The Mohammed Rizwan thing is... Bizarre. I mean, we saw him make an all-time test century in Karachi against Australia yeah. early this year. The coverage was, oh, he was left out after a run of low scores. Fucking not really. In 10 innings since the Australia series, he made a single-figure score once. And at least, half, right. at least half of those have been 30 and more. So he's made 20s, 30s, 40s. Right, He's a wicketkeeper. If you're mad that your wicketkeeper's making 35 or 40 consistently, and, well, it hasn't made a half century. Okay, I'm sorry, he made 46 instead of 50. In 10 innings, if you're returning a couple of hundred runs across those 10 innings, look, you're not setting the world alight, but you're not in a position to get dropped. That's not how it works. So, yeah, truly bizarre um, to have someone who is 
so clearly that good and go, oh, let's let's get Safi back in. I mean, he played really well. He made two half centuries in the match and, and he kept okay. But, um, you know, Safra Ahmed is not the future. No, he, he absolutely isn't. And, and the other part, of that, I mean, you brushed over the declaration a bit there, Jeff. If they got the 15 overs in, improbable as it... I mean, I just can't work out for the life of me why they declared. I mean, like, the probability Lols. of them winning the test match there... Let's assume they get 15 overs in, right? The probability of them bowling out New Zealand in 15 overs would mm. have to be, what, not even a percent? Mm. If you're wind visiting it, sure, it's improbable that New Zealand chase down what they're set in 15 overs either. But it's not as though New Zealand are going to lose 10 wickets in pursuit of 130-odd or something. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. What are they thinking? What are they thinking? Has this just baseballs gone to their head? Have they been baseballed? Um, Is that what's happening here? Maybe, well, you know, you... Uh can't spell Barbara Azam without Baz. So maybe it's that. Look, I, I think I think what happened is Barbara Azam knows what time it is, um, as does Flavor Flav. But Barbara Azam literally knows what the clock says and he knows when it gets dark in Pakistan. He knew they weren't going to get 15 overs in, surely. I mean, he would have known that they weren't going to get another hour plus of play. And look, if 10 wickets were to fall, then that's an extra half an hour of waiting for batters to come out from the sheds and all the rest of it. So no, it wasn't exactly, going to happen. Yeah. Yes, if New Zealand had got four down, they would have shut up shop and all the rest of it. And, and you wouldn't, you know, Pakistan wouldn't have had time to, to to get everybody out. I think it was really just to do something fun because he knew that they were probably only going to bowl six, seven, eight overs. And if, by some miracle, the umpires didn't take them off, then they could always slow down the clock or bowl outside leg or whatever. So there wasn't actually mm. a risk of losing. But I think it was just to do something, to be seen to do something proactive and interesting rather than just boringly bat it out and shake hands. It's like, why not shake it up? Why not try something? Why not get into New Zealand's heads if you can? Why not, why not be seen to be being proactive even if it's not going to achieve anything? Uh. I mean, existence is pointless. Why not have more fun on the way? And they did take one wicket. They did get Bracewell out. I suppose if they get Williamson out after his double ton or, or Conway or yep. Latham, who both made runs in the first innings as well, that, that might have had some psychological effect going into the, the second test, which begins next week. Uh, Jeff, uh, the other thing that will be continuing next week and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that is the Big Bash League. I think I said to you last week that I only by accident caught the all-out 15 when I turned it on. At, well, I wasn't even looking for that, but I saw it was 7 for 10. I thought, I'll stick on this. Uh, when the Thunder were all out in the space of four overs a, a couple of weeks ago, I've not seen another ball of it, but I gather from everyone who's covering it that it is a pretty, uh, well, it's a replica of previous seasons as far as not a lot of interest. I did watch the 15 all-out and it was it was fun. There was some decent fast bowling, bit of bounce. But like I was watching a game the other night and it's the red Melbourne team chasing 150-odd or whatever. It's Aaron Finch on 30 off 32 balls, just unable to get it out of the middle. I'm like, I've seen this show before. This is as bad as it gets. And, I mean, there's no urgency to make a move on the Australian T20 captaincy, but surely, surely it can't go on. I mean, there's, there, is, there is nothing like the pass that we've seen from Aaron Finch. But, you know, Aaron Finch and Sean Marsh batting at about a runner ball, unable to get anything going, slogs to the outfield, everybody being caught, you know, Peter Hanscom coming in too late at six. Like, it was just shit quality cricket. It was dull. It was mm. poor. There was no incentive to watch it. They 
can't get big name players in as you've talked about as someone who loves cricket I have so little enthusiasm for this cricket and maybe that's just a me problem um, but I don't think it is by the the, the general vibe around it. The new uh, broadcast rights negotiations that are going on suggest that it will be shortened again, that it'll go back to a 10-game season. That's oh, right. part of, of the conditions being negotiated, which means that, okay. well, that's interesting after all of those years of being, the last few years being told that a longer season was not a problem. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I, I sort of detected peripherally, I've not really been too engaged with this story, but the BBL has been a bit of a proxy around the, the TV rights chat um, which I know Dan Bredig has been reporting on others as well from the Fairfax stable, but um, the, the sense is that, that Fox and Seven will get renewed after all, um, which a couple of weeks ago, it felt like the bigger check was going to be coming from Paramount, so effectively Channel 10. Last time around, wasn't it that 10 didn't get it because they mm. offered less money than Fox and Seven, but this time it's the reverse. And um, well, again, according to reports, the status quo will be retained. I, I guess the cynical view there is that, that CA don't mind a world where their major financial stakeholder is, is owned by Rupert Murdoch. I mean, that, that's, I mean, maybe I'm being overly reductive there, but uh, it, it's, it's more convenient for them having Murdoch in the tent pissing out. It's pretty useful for cricket to have just about every major newspaper in the country, um, aside from the, the couple owned by nine on their side, because that helps promote the game. You know, there, there's more coverage. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's not by coincidence that the amount of coverage grows in that particular case. It's interesting the way this has been set up. So if you haven't been across it, Channel 10 was owned by CBS, which has now been turned by a bunch of mergers and other things into Paramount International. So Paramount owns 10, mm. Murdoch's lot owns Fox, and then Channel 7's involved with Fox in a joint bid as well. Channel 7 has spent the current broadcast cycle suing Cricket Australia repeatedly for various things to try to get out of paying the bill. So it is deeply mysterious to me as to why Cricket Australia would want to sign with Channel 7 again. You know the old the story about the frog and the scorpion? You know, the scorpion says, give me a lift across the river, and the frog mm. says, you'll sting mm. me, and the scorpion says, well, mm. if I sting you, we'll both drown, and then he stings him anyway, and the frog says, now we're both going to die, and the scorpion says, I can't help it, it's in my nature. Like... This is like after that, the scorpion's like, well, if we make it to the other side alive, can you give me a lift back? You know, and then the frog's like, cool, no worries. <laughs> like, it is, I, I cannot get my head around the fact that they're like, yeah, we should, the guys who like suing us, we should sign up with them again. Part of Seven's pitch is that if you give us the rights again, we'll call off our current legal action, which, uh, I mean, right. in, <laughs> in, in some ways you could, you could describe that as extortion, you know, <laughs> potentially, um, you, you could describe that in a range of ways if, if, if one was so inclined. So... It's a sh isn't it kind of a shame that because you know that it needs to have a free to wear dance partner, right? It's on the anti siphoning list and all the rest of it. Yeah. I, I, obviously, one day cricket was meant to be on free to wear as well, and they found an accommodation. Well, they turned a blind eye to it this time around. I wonder why there's been no pressure on the federal government, by the way, on, around that. I know when the previous government were in position in 2018, when this deal was arrived at, there was no real heat on it. But no. yeah, maybe the the new communications minister should have some heat on them about why this is allowed to be prospectively renewed with a with a view to putting Australian men's white ball cricket behind the paywall for another five or six or seven years. Seven years, aren't they talking this year for the for the deal rather than six? Seven years, yeah. So that's that's another thing that seven want white ball cricket this time. Oh, so, they do. So there okay. are there are a range of 
So my understanding of how it worked last time is that Seven was technically sold the rights to broadcast white ball cricket and then chose, in inverted commas, not to do so because that was the agreement with Fox. And that's how they got around the anti-siphoning list, which, if you're not from Australia, means the list of events that is protected by legislation to say that it has to be available on free-to-air. So it was like, it has technically been sold to a free-to-air station, which is choosing not to broadcast it, therefore it was able to skirt the legislation. This time, Seven say they want the white ball games. They want to screen them. Um, Initially, they went into the negotiations saying they didn't want the Big Bash at all. They just wanted the test matches. Now they've sort of backed down on that and they'll agree to do it all, but they want the white ball stuff as well. And they want to be able to stream the games on their digital platforms, which under the current deal, they're not allowed to do. Only Fox can have digital rights. Um, And so things are changing, but that's the way the AFL deal works with Fox and Seven, is that Seven's allowed to broadcast the stuff digitally on its own platform. So the Channel 10 intervention is that they come in and say, we'll give you 1.5 billion. And Seven and Fox between them have got to about 1.4 billion. Last time around, Channel 10 was less money by $2 million a year, like an insignificant amount. And that $2 million wasn't even cash. It was Contra. It was just ads on Seven, basically. But CA still went with Seven and said it was on the basis of the money. This time, Ten's offering them $100 million extra dollars over the course of the deal, and they still don't want to take it. And the misgiving is that Channel 10 has a smaller audience, therefore they've got less broadcasting clout to get the games in front of people. But that seems to be a weird uh, distrusting of your own product, if you're like... Like people who want to watch the cricket will come and find the cricket, not the other way around. Sure. But the the rationale is that if you've got Seven and Fox, you've got more promotional clout, you've got more advertising, you've got friendly newspapers, all the rest of it. But it's it's interesting that so this sounds like a bigger deal, but it's a seven year deal, and the last one was a six year deal. So it's actually identical in terms of the amount of money per season. Right. And historically, you've had huge increases. So you go from fifty five million to 195 million, to 275, to 590, to 1.1 billion. And now it's going to be flat. This is going to be the first time that the broadcast rights deal hasn't gone up in value. And and historically, it's gone up substantially. This time, it won't go up at all. And a market with high inflation, all the rest of it, effectively, it means it's a net loss. It's a net reduction per season. Even then, Cricket Australia are not looks like they're not going to try to maximise every last dollar by taking the Paramount deal. Um, it looks like they want to do the Fox 7 deal. That's the indication at the right. moment, although that could change. Okay. Okay. So that makes a bit more sense now. So the the 10 reticence is to do with um, the perception that they won't be able to do as good a job amplifying the game as 7 and Fox can collectively. It's a bit like, well, you're the, you're the smaller partner in the free-to-air you know, the other two are the big legacy stations who pull a bigger share of the ratings on their other programs. But that doesn't account for the fact that if someone wants to watch a test match, they will go to the channel that the test match is on. It doesn't actually matter what that channel is. There's also with the Murdoch thing, I mean, this is an interesting wrinkle as well. Uh, Richard Freudenstein, who is on the Cricket Australia board, also a guy who used to run Foxtel, also had a job at the top of B Sky B also is on 200000 a year plus from a company called REA that's a rental listings company owned by News Corp, gets invited to the Murdoch Christmas parties and now he's on the Cricket Australia board advising on whether they should give the broadcast rights deal to Fox Sports. So, hmm, yep, I don't mind a conflict of interest at Cricket Australia. And, and again, it kind of comes back to the idea that they will be you know, co-owned by the Murdoch forces. I mean... 
Does it seem at odds with the way that CA present themselves publicly these days? It's like an organisation mm. that's kind of, you know, forward-looking, progressive and all the rest of it, yet yet happy to be owned by that cabal. Like that that mm-hmm. seems that seems like a misalignment, especially when there's a chance to earn more money elsewhere. And then the last piece is Channel 7, who spent the last few years talking about how the rights were overvalued and they'd paid too much and they'd been ripped off and all the rest of it, and yet here they are queuing up to do it all again. So that, uh, that also gives you a sense of the integrity of the claims that were made publicly by seven over the last few years we hate these rights so much that we'd like to give you many hundreds of millions of dollars for another set of them we promise we won't sue you this time no i swear to god hand on heart scorpion and the frog good way to leave uh, our 2022 uh, final word coverage i suppose there's been a lot of scorpions and a lot of frogs this year and there'll be more of the same next year i'm sure in various things that we touch on week to week and be it on the um, the weekly show or our daily editions or our story time editions all of them will be back next year we're hoping to drop a story time into the feed jeff uh, i don't never know what day of the week it is between um, between Christmas Eve and the end of the Sydney Test match, but before mm-hmm. the Sydney Test, whenever yep. that is. So if we get our shit together early next week, we'll try and do that. And then there'll be the dailies with you and Baz. And then we will keep doing what we're doing with me over here. We've got a baby during a couple of weeks, so it might be um, a little bit of a breather for me. In fact, I will need to take a couple of weeks off <laughs> once that uh, once that happens. And you'll have a couple of uh, guest hosts with you through the early part of, or the middle part of January. And then we'll be off to India. Mm-hmm. And then we can... Do all that again for the second time, Jeff. That's going to be that's going to be wild. It's going to be intense. We've got to go to India. Yeah, uh, 2023. It looms ahead of us. It is a little daunting, I must say, at this stage. But it is also a field of opportunity uh, as this weird planet of people keeps screaming onward through space, not knowing where we're going to end up. But we're on the ride together, for better or for worse. So uh, thank you to all of you for being on the ride with us through 2022. Let's do this bit at least again in 2023 because it's the nicest part of the internet. (laughs) This has been The Final Word. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins. See you next year. Can't stop, won't stop. Sorry if I ran into empty, wrote this so you know what I meant. I had to go about it.